This episode of the Unstoppable Recording Machine Podcast is brought to you by Solid State Logic. SSL is a manufacturer of high-end mixing consoles and recording studio software. For over 49 years, SSL's products have been at the heart of thousands of the most respected, timeless recordings. Solid State Logic. Thank you for listening. And now your host, A.L. Levy. All right, so Anthony Potenza, welcome uh, to the URM podcast. I appreciate you being here. Thanks for having me. I'm really stoked to be on this. Yeah, absolutely. Um, So I'm going to get right to it. Uh, I've known you for about four years now. Uh, Something like that. It might be more, actually. I think it's four. Like, well, almost four. October 2014. Or September 2000. Something like that, yeah. yeah. And I believe that you were 14 then. Well, how old are you now? No, I I was like 16 because I just turned 20. So I had to be like 16, I think. Got it. All right. I'm just going to give people a little history. Uh, Back in 2014, I started doing these recording boot camps where people would come for a few days and learn some good stuff about how to actually do it. Anthony showed up to the first one ever. And at that point, you were just kind of getting into recording yeah, a little bit. Yeah, I, I, I didn't have a DAW. I just had, like, not even Reaper, like Audacity or some, like, really bad freeware program back then. But I saw all the posts about it, and I think it was in, like, Metal Sucks or something. Sounds about right. I was like, oh, cool. I, I, I like music. I should go learn to record. That'll be fun. Hey, Dad, why don't I do this? That Well, that's pretty awesome because I remember at that boot camp and at these boot camps, we would have people who were there uh, before they got bigger. We would kind of go around the room and let people get hands on mm-hmm. and record stuff for themselves. And what was funny about it was I remember that you just kept coming up to like every single time that I had that I was like, okay, one of you guys should try this. Uh, you were ahead of everybody. <laughs> and there were people like twice your age there who had been recording for a while and, you know, different levels and people who should not have been scared to go up. And you at 16, not even owning a DAW, kept coming up to the front. And so I remember that and I was like, all right, that's, that's good. So yeah. fast forward, um, you've actually turned this into a living. Yeah, uh, I. this is my first year recording full-time. I quit my part-time restaurant job back in October 2017. That's killer. And it's been fantastic. Best Best decision I've made. It was kind of like that whole, you know, being worried about, am I stable enough to do this? Is are people going to come to me and pay me? And now that it's been, I think it's been like the six or seven month point uh, at where we are now. And it's been fantastic. Um, I'm busy, uh, constantly doing work and I haven't been happier. When you made the shift from having that part-time job to being like, I'm going to try this. What was the, what was the deciding factor if there was one, or did you just say, fuck it? It was that 
okay, this is this is a little bit of a funny story. It was I was supposed to get promoted at this other job, and I was doing the studio thing part time. And I really, of course, my end game was to go full time with it, but I wasn't getting promoted, and I was like one of the better workers there and I was getting really annoyed. So it took a few weeks of, oh, well, maybe we'll put you on this. And so I eventually went, you know what, that's it. I can, you know, worst comes to worst, I can get another part-time restaurant job if the full-time recording doesn't work out. So I went and put in my two weeks and my boss goes, good, it's about time. And I did like a double take because I'm like, wait, what? He's like, yeah, you don't need to be working a job like this. Go do the studio instead. And so I was like, well, that was my plan. So I guess I'm go for it and try it. And I'm so glad I did because the first month was a little scary because first month I didn't get much work, but then, uh, December came and I started getting booked up for January and then January I was busy every day. So hold on. So the boss basically was like, you don't belong here. Yeah. He was like, he told me, he's like, you don't need a job like this. You have an awesome studio. You're a hard worker. You can go make that work and do that. And I was just like, really? Oh, okay, cool. Like, I'm glad we're on the same page. Then that's, It was just weird. That's really I, awesome, actually. Yeah, I wasn't expecting it, but it was cool uh, having that support there. I mean, I agree with him. I, I think definitely you're the type who would make it work. Uh, work ethic wise and mm-hmm. talent wise, but also uh, at the age that you're at, this is also the best time to take risks. Yeah. Yeah. Because like exactly. if, if it fucks up, first of all, you've got plenty of time to write the ship and to like have bad years and bad months. And uh, exactly. if it doesn't work out for whatever reason, there's plenty of time to figure out something else without you know, screwing over a family or something. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. I'm really lucky too. Cause right now, like I live with my brother and my dad, my dad is a hundred, as you know, he was at the boot camp. Absolutely. He's been a hundred, he's been a hundred percent supportive. So like my, even my monthly expenses are very low right now. And since I live in my studio too, there's no overhead with paying for a separate studio space, which I'm very lucky to have. But that's kind of my thought process, like you said, of this is the time to do it. This is the time to, you know, work at this. Because another thing is like, if I yesterday, for example, I had no clients or mixes that I needed to get done. So I kind of had like a day where I didn't have work. And I spent all day building acoustic panels to make my listening environment better. And so I try and do it so that I'm still working even if I don't have clients over by like practicing mixes or doing edits or practicing tracking myself on like guitar and see what I can improve on mic positioning or something like that. And so I think one of the things that I've really used uh, the time of being full time in this is when I'm when I don't have clients, I'll make sure I'm working on bettering my skills so that I can really wow the clients when they come. That's actually good that you said because one thing that i've noticed like uh, it's almost the the curse it's like i don't think it's just with producers you see this a lot at local level studios who kind of established a uh, regular client base um you know they usually work hard a little bit and then establish the client base and then just kind of coast on their skills. And so it never really goes beyond that. Um, And then also clients, you know, the clients look at it like an option that they can afford for that 
time period, but they're always looking towards the next thing, which you don't, Mm -hmm. I mean, look, uh, there, there's some degree of that will always happen unless you're Bob Rock, but um, <laughs> yeah, you know, there's always somebody bigger. But you don't want clients to be in there with you, uh, second guessing it the whole time. And so when absolutely not, yeah, when you know that the guy that you're working with is just totally passionate about it, and they're going to be doing this whether you're there or not. And then every time that they come back, you're a little bit better and a little bit better. Mm-hmm. That's what keeps them coming. I think a hundred percent. I have a insanely good client retention uh, rate where most of the P I think it's most, if not all of my clients that have come here in the past year, all have come back for like second projects. And I try and do uh the thing that I actually learned at the summit from uh, Joel's speech of being like the guy that wows a band so much that they're just like, how can we do this without him? Cause that that's what'll keep people coming back in. Oh, m- meaning not how can we actually get this done without him more like how could we actually get it done if he wasn't here? Yeah, exactly. Cause um, it, it helps a lot with me cause I'm still in a band myself and we go We've always since um, like three years ago stopped recording in our state and actually went out of state because we weren't happy with the options that were available in our state. You went to Taylor and Larson, right? Yes, we just went to him cool. February. And that was really cool for me because he's my favorite producer. So getting to work with him for a few days on us, we did a single. And it, it was the same thing with me where I was just like, oh my God, this is next level. How, like, we're how could we go anywhere else sort of thing? And it was really good to see that. And then have me sit down and go, okay, so I need to be that guy for every band that walks in my door. I need to give them that feeling that I just got as a guy in a band. Yeah. You know, what's funny too, or just interesting is I think that even if you do stick it out and get to Taylor's level at some point, um, it still probably shouldn't stop you from going to people like Taylor for your own band. Oh, I do not want anything to do with recording my own band. There's just too much of like being attached to the music and stuff like that. That's why um, when uh, we did this, because some people have asked me, they're like, you have this nice studio. Why are you, you do this for a living? Why are you going there? And I'm like, I don't, I don't trust myself with my own band. Other people's bands. Yeah. But like, just having that third party perspective and all of that helps so much. And also it's got, you also had to be mind blowing to be with someone of his skill level because he's, he's a genius. The drums were insane. That's when I was like, wow, I got to go home and work because <laughs> his drums are like the best. But yeah, that's part of the reason I did want to go too, is I'm like, he wasn't, he's like a six hour drive from us. So it's not terribly far. And I was, we have family down there that we stayed with and I was just like, okay, um, so we'll do this legit and, uh, see how it goes. And luckily, uh, it went well. We're, I'm at, we're actually going back for a week in July and I'm so excited about it. And it, it was great. Cause like I said, working with that caliber, it's only going to make me better by just secondhand observing and stuff like that. And he doesn't mind. Obviously, he doesn't mind sharing his skills with people. Not at all. I just asked him questions, and he was very uh, open with me about it. He actually helped because I was using uh, 
some monitors that were good, but he was like for the room I have, I don't know if you can see on the webcam, but Mm -hmm. it's a huge control room. And I had kind of some smaller monitors and he was like, you need to get rid of those and get something more like this. And so immediately I came home and bought new monitors, but I got them and it's been a world of difference. Yeah. Well, it's very, very smart when you're in the presence of someone like that to actually take their advice. It's funny Mm -hmm. how many people don't, uh, that if someone like that is willing to give you a tip like that, fucking take it that. Okay. So that brings up a question I had. So you've been doing it full time for six months and I know you've been doing it part time for years. How did you get the first paying client? Trying to think it's going to take me back a little bit. Um, I started doing free singles for bands. I just was there doing them go. for free to learn. And there's a point where you got to stop it. And like when you're good enough, like right now um, is not the kind of time where I do that because I'm confident enough in my skills. But when I was first starting out, I was just like free, come record. What if Lamb of God asked you to mix a song for free? Oh, I'd do it. There you go. So the, th- it, it, the it free thing... On- Depends on where you're at and where you want to mm-hmm. go. So I don't think that there ever stops being a time when people do free work in order to level up. But it's important to know yes. when you have leveled up and the, who should be paying you and who would be who would be dumb to even ask. Exactly. Um, with, with all that stuff, it's like uh, – and I try to help local bands and regional bands around here as much as possible, but – Sometimes you can tell when they're just looking for something free too. And that's when you got to stand up for yourself a little bit and be like, uh, no, sorry. I like, I can't do that. Especially when it is your full-time job. Cause you know, you got to make ends meet and get your, get the money. To, and if you put the hours and time into it and really offer a good product, that's what you deserve. However, I still do stuff like free test mixes, anything mm-hmm. like that for bands, just to give them a sample I have no problem doing that because then it's like, whoa. Like um, the other day, I actually got this really good, uh, cool opportunity where I hooked up with the vocalist of a bigger band that I just saw. And I took a few vocal lessons from him. And he, uh, I saw his show the other night when they came, the tour came through town and we were talking. And he was like, you know, my engineer for my uh, band management company is starting to get really booked up. Would you potentially be okay to master stuff? And I'm like, yeah. And so then we communicated over Instagram the next few days. I did some test masters for him and then he ended up paying me for them and uh, sending me work. And I didn't mind doing it for free and giving him like a 40 second clip of each song at all. That's exactly how you level up, by the way, in this industry. Uh, I just want to highlight that. So you took vocal lessons with this well-known dude Obviously, mm-hmm. you made a good impression enough to, and he saw that you were serious enough to where he offered you some sort of a shot. You took the shot um, and didn't make a big deal out of it. And hopefully, or not even hopefully, but just uh, gave yourself the opportunity to actually make good on that opportunity. Mm-hmm. And the biggest thing too, is how it ended up happening. I think it was our second lesson. I only took like two, like it wasn't a huge thing, but I just started out by asking him like, Hey, how's your day going? And just the biggest thing is like actually 
caring about other people instead of being in it like, oh, maybe I can get a business opportunity. And he just, I think he said something like, it was around January or something. He's like, oh, doing taxes. And I'm like, oh, I get that because I run a studio and I have to do taxes at the end of the year and I know how much it sucks doing it for your own business. And then we got talking. But it wasn't like uh, I scheduled those vocal lessons. It was like, hey, I own a studio just in case you ever need anything. Because that's not, then you look kind of like you're looking for something instead of just being a cool dude. It's kind of a weird way to to get a gig is to do something like that and then plant it. It's got to be natural. That's why we tell mm-hmm. people that the social skills part of it is so important because, look, obviously we all do want the gigs, but it's, it's weird when obviously that's the goal, uh, but – it can't be the goal. It can't be the goal of an interaction with a human, yep. unless you're specifically negotiating something, or you know they've said they've like inquired and want to know the rates, or you know he said, yeah, "Would you exactly. like to master something?" Okay, the the door has been opened to now talk business, but before that, uh, keep it personal. Find something exactly. that you guys can relate on. If you connect, maybe it'll go further. And if you don't, no big deal. There's plenty of other people mm-hmm. out there who you can connect with. My goal isn't to build clients. It's to build relationships because that is how you do this kind of an industry right. And actually genuinely caring about every client and band that walks through this door. That's what I find people keep coming back for is stuff like that. Like I had a band over earlier before we recorded this today. And like one of the guys brought their dogs and they were playing with my dog and it made his day. And it was, I was like, of course, bring it over. But that's just another thing that they'll remember. And the next time when they're in uh, getting ready to book time, if they think what studio should we go to, they'll remember how fun it was the first time. And they'll do that. And I find with a lot of times, if your base is like local and regional bands, Obviously, they care about you doing a good job, but like that stuff is really what they care about, too, is like they want to have fun because sometimes not every band wants to tour. Sometimes they just want to, you know, head to the studio for a week and record music and have a blast doing it. And to give that experience, that's what I've kind of set up the way I do things to be while still making it sound the best that it can. Just being cool and like accommodating whatever their needs are. You got to make them feel like they're at a five-star hotel, too. Yeah, that's a really good comparison. Uh, And even if, look, even if your studio is not Sphere Studios or something, uh, I think, and I mean that with all due respect, there's only like a very small handful of studios that are actually like a five-star hotel. And most people, like... Big bands will get wowed by that. I mean, anyone would get wowed, but the, I, I will. <laughs> but, yeah, but but the thing is that most bands won't 
book based on what a place looks like or their gear. They're going to book based on a few different things like, A, can they afford it? B, do they like the person? C, how does their work Mm -hmm. sound? D, what do the other bands that they know who have worked with them say about working with that person? Does he get shit done on time? Does he freak out? Does he show up hungover? Is he just generally cool? Like all that stuff. Exactly. Yeah, I, I don't. I I don't really think that people book studios based on seeing a picture of some swank ass control room, answering yep. an ad, and going there. At least not in this genre of heavier music. Yeah, I can definitely see that. Like, I on my website, I don't have a gear list. Um, I'd rather people pay attention to my results. And then if they ask like, well, what do you have? I'll let them know. I always let people know, like Mm -hmm. I do have other gear. And another thing that I've learned that's helped me with the full-time thing is like, you got to remember the hierarchy of what, what's important to a recorded sound. Like preamps are very nice. And I have a few really nice ones and I really do like them. But number one is the player. And that's been the biggest revelation I think I've had this whole year is just like, wow, I can, I've uh, plugged in a guitar through the same exact channel and like same EQ settings, everything had two different people play it at the same, like one guy and then hand it to the other. And it sounds vastly different to the two ones from each other. And it's like same, same everything, but the player. So that's number one. And then number two is like the instrument. If it's a, you know, $200, $150 guitar, it's probably not going to sound amazing compared to like more of a mid-level one. So one of the things I've made sure with my studio is I have a nice bass, I have a nice guitar, I've got a nice drum set, and I've got nice vocal mics. That's like, before I get into any of the outboard gear, outboard compressors, I make sure I have the basics down. So that way I'm not spending like, $4,000 on a really fancy compressor when I don't have the vocal mic to record it. So remembering that stuff has helped me a lot too and helped me bring out the better performance when you're not obsessed over every little piece of gear. You know, what's funny about that is that lots of people say that online, you know, lots of people who are teaching, recording or whatever, and, you know, lots of producers will say it's the player uh, you know, how do you get a good guitar tone, fix his right hand, all that stuff. Yeah. And everybody kind of knows it, but I feel like it's one of those things that until you actually experience like how mm-hmm. brutal of a difference it is, like how night and day you almost, I feel like people don't almost totally hundred percent believe it if they haven't yep. experienced it. Like they believe it. But I'll see a lot of questions like, okay, how do I get a guitar tone like this and this? Yeah, yeah, I know the player. Yeah, yeah, I know. But really, what can I do to get that tone? It's like, dude, you just answered your own question. And yeah, I I was the same way. I didn't like I knew that you needed to be a good player, obviously. But like, I didn't really understand it until I saw it firsthand and was like, Oh my God, like that's the same guitar, signal chain, everything. And just the hands changed the tone like from night and day. And I was just, I was like, that's what they mean. Same thing with like how a drummer hits a drum, uh, how the bassist plucks his strings, all that stuff matters. And it matters way more, I think, 
than you Absolutely. know if if you're using a Neve or an API. Yeah, I mean, or stock preamp. Yeah, Neve or API. I mean, they're great pieces of gear, but like you said, there's a hierarchy to it. So to clarify, what you're saying is that when you focus on what you're doing uh, in the moment or with clients or your priorities, what you're really working on the hardest is getting what comes out of them to be or what gets down and recorded to be the best it possibly can, regardless mm-hmm. of regardless of the gear situation. Oh, yeah, exactly. What I've actually, the other thing is, if I have any advice on gear to give other than that to everyone is monitors and room acoustics are more important than anything. Mm-hmm. I... I can't believe, like, speaking for myself, there was kind of this point this year where I needed, I had a friend who told me, he's like, you need a studio cloud because your reflections from the ceiling are just bouncing right down into your ears. And it was my first, like, acoustic thing. And, like, I got it in my car and I'm like, oh, this is a lot of money. Is this really going to make a difference? And I was so worried. And then I installed it and sat down and I, I just heard the low end completely separate from everything else all of a sudden i was just what and that's when i was like wow acoustically treating rooms is like the most important thing you can do if you want to be a mixer or a mastering guy there's a reason there's a reason for why we say that so much yeah yeah it's but it's also one of those things where uh a lot of people don't want to listen uh they would rather be like, yeah, but what compressor? It's like, no. Yeah, it's, <laughs> compressors are fun. Like, I mean, yeah, I love cool. looking at. I love looking at vintage gear all the time. I'm not gonna buy it, but like, it's cool to look at. It's just cool to see the different characteristics and like how each compressor, especially, has like a different distortion when it's hardware, which is really cool. And then you get like, oh yeah, I bought this like two by four panel, and it's not as exciting, but. What's more exciting is better mixes, and it won't matter if you have a $4,000 compressor if you can't hear what's going on in your mid-range versus your low-end because it's all cloudy because you're getting all these reflections. So that's why, for me, I more than anything have bought, um, after I went to the studio with my band, I bought the really nice monitors that I got recommended and a bunch of more room treatment because to me, too, it's not only just a making me better thing. I'm still very much a student learning from URM and nail to mix and all these other things and like practicing. And to me, it's going to speed up my learning curve if I can hear accurately sooner. So I'd rather invest as much money as I can into hearing accurately faster so that like, instead of waiting six months for it, I can use that six months to practice mixes. And since I'm hearing it clearer, my ears will develop faster. That's what I'm more going for than just like cool preamps and compressors right now. Very, very smart. And, you know, when uh, when you do level up and start getting better paying clients and all that, you will be able to afford all the gear you want to. Exactly. Exactly. The uh, The gear thing will happen if you have clientele. If you want gear, like if you want it to happen – all you need is clientele who pays you and you'll be able to make, you'll make the gear thing come true. You said at the beginning here that you're now building your own acoustic panels though. So you went from buying and now you're teaching yourself how to actually make them. 
Yeah, there's some really good resources online. And once I got the actual panels in, I, I, my dad helped me set up. He's like, oh, we can do this. And then so we looked up some videos and uh, it's pretty easy. Honestly, it's really a lot of it's just building up the wooden frame and then stuffing it with the right kind of material, which it's really important to read, especially if it's acoustic material. They'll have uh, specs usually on the website if it's um, like rock wool or something like that. And you got to read like how much the thickness will affect uh, certain frequencies because like I didn't use it, but I know if you use like rock wool, I think like two inches, it barely does any absorption in the low mids and low end. But then when you stuff it to four inches, it's like linear across the board. So that was the hardest part. And I was just kind of like, I can either buy panels or I'll try it myself. And I was like, I have a free day. You know what? I'm going to try it. And so far I've hung them up and it's definitely made a difference. Yeah. And I'm hearing better. The I, I think that buying the panels is only for people like me who are completely uh, mechanically inept and can't build anything to save their lives. But if yeah. like if you can if you have any sort of skills with constructing anything, uh, it's far cheaper and they work exactly the same. Yeah, it's like it wasn't even that much more expensive to buy the panel. It was like twenty bucks more per panel. It's the shipping that kills you. Because they have to ship these huge panels to you. So the shipping was like $80. And that's where all of a sudden I was saving a lot of my money. So it's not like they build them any differently there than you would here. Especially if you look up what materials are in it. You can do it yourself as long as you can get your hands on that. Who did you buy them from when you bought them? Um, I believe it was ATS Acoustics. Okay. Which is, they they were great. Uh, I mean, they've worked perfectly. They're hanging above my head. Haven't fallen on me. That was my one concern. Didn't want it to hurt (laughs) but um yeah no it's been great and that's why i'm just trying to make sure my studio is acoustically sound uh so that my mixes and masters sound the best that they can that's a very very good set of priorities so that in mind how do you go about pulling in new clients now what's your what's your strategy or is there one i i'm still trying new things figuring it out um a lot of word of mouth and referrals. Um, a lot of what I do is, so since I'm in my own band, I'm very involved in my local music scene. So I'm friends with everyone who's in a band. Cause you know, you just, that's how it works a lot of the time. And so what I end up doing is I'll just constantly be posting on my studio Facebook page and my Facebook page too. Whenever I have a guy in the studio or whenever I'm doing a mix, even when I'm not, I'll just post a nice picture of like one of my guitars and be like, ask a question, like, what's your guy's favorite guitar? That way it's kind of a top of mind thing and there's some interaction. And that way it feels more like, oh yeah, it's not as much of a business. It's just like Anthony, he's in that band. He runs a cool recording studio and like, we like talking about guitars and amps with him because a lot of local musicians love talking about gear. It's fun. What amp are you using? What guitars do you use? What kind of bridge does it have? Like everyone loves talking about that. And it's really fun. And like as an audio guy and what we were just talking about gear, I love talking about gear and stuff like that. So it's really natural to talk to people like that. So that's one avenue that I kind of stay top of mind. And then eventually I'll have people message me and go, Hey, we want to check out your studio. And so a lot of the time what I'll try and do is I'll even just try and have a free studio to where they come hang out for an hour or two, check out some mixes in the room and just hang out and get to know each other a little bit. And then they'll go like, Oh, well 
could we do a single here or could we do a album here? And a lot of times I will get stuff like that. And that's a really good way to get clients. Another way is just like you, I I'll ask bands when they're done and they're super happy. Hey, do you know any friends that might want to record? I'd love to, you know, help them out too. And a lot of the time they'll, ha- they'll all have like a band or two. And then I can hit them up, talk to them a little bit and ask them about their music. The other thing is don't ask immediately. Don't just in the first message, if you're messaging them on Facebook, be like, yo, you want to come record in my studio? You, you got to talk to them and get to know them a little bit. Establish a genuine relationship. And then once you do that, again, I won't even try and like do a cell thing. I'll just be like, you guys want to come over and hang out for like an hour or two? Just talk. I think, dude, honestly, uh, and you know, I've been doing this for a while. The... Mm-hmm that's how I've seen it work. I mean, I've seen advertisement work to some degree in some genres, uh, but it's usually, it doesn't usually net you the kind of clients you're looking for. Uh, yeah. Like it, you know, like you're obviously looking for, you know, uh, clients in a specific world, not saying that you want to limit yourself, but obviously you're looking for clients in, uh, in the world that you know and that you're yeah. comfortable with and that you love and you're playing. So, and you know how to talk about that world and you're passionate about that world. And so mm-hmm. all you need to do is put yourself there and be good and be cool. And then it takes care of itself. That's how I've seen just about everybody's career and every successful studio, uh, start working. There has to be some sort of a personal reason that, yep. that people will come to you. That's the other thing is I think bands can tell when a guy is passionate and really loves what he's doing and cares for sure versus the guy versus the guy who's just doing it because he's like, Oh, I don't want to get a job. I'll just record bands. And then, and you can normally tell, Cause I, I do know it's definitely a thing with some engineers in general where they'll just act better than mm-hmm. everyone else. And I'm just, I've met so many amazing engineers through URM and just through my own personal life, like Taylor, uh, Henrik from studio Fredman. And I, I don't think he's there anymore, but he's at, uh, his own thing. And he's awesome too. Billy Decker and every single guy I meet is the most down to earth, like normal and is willing to just be a cool guy and share stuff. And so I'm like, if those guys are like that, there's no reason for anyone else, me included, to ever act that way. There's actually a reason. I mean, there's. it's not like coincidence either that those guys are like that. Every now and then you'll get a uh, like a diva producer or engineer at the very top. And usually what happens is that they had some sort of freak success. And people put up with it. That that's but yeah, it's got like magic yeah. ears. Yeah, it's not, but it's not because of them acting like a diva that they're successful. It's despite them acting like a diva. And the moment that their sound goes out of favor, or they hit harder times, or whatever, the moment the, the streak starts to slow down, people will jump ship. Uh, whereas if you look at the people like Decker or, um, or Henrik or, you know, any of these guys, Andrew Wade, like mm-hmm. all of these guys oh, that are too. serious. Yeah. That are seriously cool people. Um, 
they, I mean, obviously they've all had great success and continue to, but their clients come to them over and over and over. So whether or not they, you know, the last record they did was a hit or not a hit or, you know, downtimes, uptimes, whatever, people just come to them because they're great and they're cool to hang out with. And that's, yeah. that's what people should aspire to be like. Yep. That's another thing is like, I, I, when I do days, like when we're done, if the band wants to hang out or like have some food or something, I'm always like, yeah, let's do it. Cause that builds relationships. And I'm not like, uh, I'm so done. Like I've recorded for eight hours. I'll be like, yeah, let's, let's hang out. Let's have a good time. Cause like you said, it's building those interpersonal relationships that'll get you further than like having the best sound. Even there are some dudes I know that will go to people that they know aren't like a-list producers, but they just work well together and have a fun time. And they're like, he's our guy. That's just what we do. I will tell you that when my band was mixed by Colin Richardson in 2006, and, you know, he's uh, at that point in time, he was the the, the guy. Yeah. Yeah. The capital I love T-H-E. Colin's mixes. He's I one still, of my favorites. Yeah. I still think he's one of the greatest of all time uh, in heavy music. At that time, he was, uh, I think that was kind of around when he was peaked and was starting to personally decide to slow down just a little bit. Um, but mm-hmm. still, even then, because he had already been in it for like 25 years and had already, you know, changed the sound of metal, dude. Even then, with me from an unknown band who was on our first record and whatever, like he didn't have to treat me well and I would have been perfectly cool still when he mixed our album he had breakfast with me every day dinner with me every day uh that's so awesome yeah like it was and he never at any point in time made me feel like he was doing me a favor even though he really was he totally didn't have to say yes to the project it would have made no difference whatsoever in the trajectory of that guy's career but uh but not even once did he make us feel that way so you're right if people like that are that cool there's no reason Mm -hmm. for why anyone coming up should be any different yep and that's what i use to keep myself grounded too to make sure uh not that i ever really think i'd be that way but i'm always just like that little voice in the back of my head just in case like you know, all these guys are cool, so just be a cool dude. And it, it'll work out, I think, if people work hard and are just cool. Absolutely. Well, Anthony Potenza, thank you so much for coming on. Awesome. Thanks for having me. It was yeah. my pleasure. Awesome talking to you as usual, and uh, we will be in touch. To get in touch with the URM podcast, visit urm.com slash podcast and subscribe today.